This episode is sponsored by the Financial Due Diligence Framework Course. If you're doing any type of financial analysis and participate in M&A, strategy, or turnaround projects, you absolutely need to check out this course. By completing this comprehensive video course, you'll be strongly armed to analyze the P&L of any company and to be able to provide actionable, insightful reports. This course teaches you how to properly understand the methodology of how to conduct thorough financial analysis and what is important in financial due diligence. If you're looking for a career in transaction services in one of the big four, in a transaction services boutique, or to be a better private equity professional or M&A associate, you'll get a solid foundation to land your next job. And as a special offer, if you use the code SASDistrict, you'll get $100 off the entire course made specifically for our listeners. So if you're interested, go check out horizoncapital.com slash learn due diligence. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to nail your product and marketing with customer research. Today, we have our guest, Agalos Muzakitis, joining us. Agalos is a serial entrepreneur currently running his latest venture, Growth Sandwich, a customer-led growth agency and product growth lab, helping B2B SaaS companies sell better, retain more, and avoid six-figure go-to-market mistakes. So, Welcome, Agalos. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District Show today. Hi, Akil. Nice to see you. And uh, actually, I'm very surprised that you managed to, to pronounce my surname. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. It's a good way to start the day. <laughs> um, so I, I want to start with, you know, probably a simple thing for you, but maybe a lot of people in our audience trying to understand what exactly is, you know, customer-led growth. And if I'm if I'm a founder trying to set up my investment strategy, trying to think about my growth strategy, how should I be you know, investing in this part of my overall, you know, go-to-market strategy? Okay. Okay. That's a great question. So customer-led growth is a, is a quite new thing. It's a business methodology that leverages customer research and qualitative data to drive product and growth decisions. So ultimately it puts the customer at the core of the decision-making process, but there is a common misunderstanding about that. This doesn't mean that we are building and doing and communicating whatever the customer tells us. In fact, we go very deep in order to understand what the customer's needs are based on evidence and research. So founders, if they're not already doing that, they should start that yesterday, in my view. Uh, they should use existing client-facing people on their team and client-facing moments within their product to leverage data they have to collect qualitative data in order to make their decisions more informed. In fact, they cannot afford not doing that nowadays. And we can speak more about why they cannot afford that in, uh, um, in this conversation. Got it. So, you know, specifically, you know, on that customer research, uh, you know, uh, program, you set up, you mentioned qualitative data. So what, what does that kind of look like? So if I'm doing B2B CAS, B2B SaaS customer research, we understand it's important. Um, you know, how, how should a SaaS founder think about it and how should they start approaching these you know, existing clients, or maybe new clients, or, you know, if they're st- just starting off the, you know, the, 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 the market that they're looking to tap into. 
Okay, okay. So there are a couple of things that uh, SaaS founders are not really doing at the moment that uh, they need to start doing. The first thing is that uh, they need to leverage, exist, as I said, existing client interactions, such as interactions between sales and their clients, interactions between customer success and their clients, but also digital interactions, such as their onboarding or such as uh, the cancellation. But except that, they should also run customer research projects. So we have three things here. We have moments that we can actually collect feedback uh, from our people, from the people that speak with our customers. Moments that we can collect feedback because our customer has the capacity and has the energy to give us feedback, such as the onboarding and the cancellation. And then we have ad hoc research projects. So these three need to be the pillars of qualitative research within every SaaS company in order to create what I, what I name and what other people actually name informed decision making loop. So this is a loop. We collect evidence, we analyze the evidence, we make product and growth decisions. These are, I know that this might seem and sound a bit complex and theoretical, but in fact, they're extremely practical. And, uh, and they're more than practical. They are extremely important because in 2021, there is everything. Everything is built. Everything exists. The market is very saturated. Users don't want more tools in their stack. They don't want more ads. They don't want more sales. They want less noise, less tools, less trouble. Founders do not have the luxuries of the past anymore. Your product needs to be stellar, to look good, to be communicated effectively for the right people and be surgically accurate. You cannot do any of these things without research. Unless, of course, you're a psychic, in which case I want you in my team. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, we all do, right? Then we can make better investments and, and we all make a million dollars, right? Um, okay. You know, specifically going into, okay, you know, I I pick up the phone. I understand. I want to talk to my customers and I want to understand what, you know, how can I simplify my product? How can I make a stellar? Uh, I want to make a product specifically for you, but there's, there's an issue of, you know, every, every client is different. Every client has different needs. Uh, you know, every market and size you work with has different, you know, uh, you know, gaps in what you can offer and what they're looking for. Um, you know, and, and there's something you mentioned, which is the, the value gap. As, as many companies assume they're giving that really high, you know, super quality experience to their customers, but then maybe customers will disagree with it. They, they think they're doing a good job, but, you know, the customer says otherwise. What is that value gap and, and, and why does it typically happen? Okay, let's start with the first question. What happens in case we have uh, uh, various different customers, various different clients, we want mm. to keep all of them happy? Uh, um, my answer will be, will be double. The first part will be the theoretical part and the second will be a story. So you might have various customer profiles. You might have uh, seemingly have different customers and seemingly have different uh, things that you are accommodating. But in fact, you are building, you should build and you should accommodate specific needs or specific jobs to be done. Uh, 
jobs to be done is a is, is is a is a buzzword of course you can google it it's a framework of uh, that describes consumer action uh, happy to to go further into that but for the people that don't know what it is it's a it's a consumer action theory please uh, google it it's super super exciting but what i want you to keep out of that is that you might seemingly have different customer profiles but in fact there is something common between them there are a few things that are common and these are the things that they expect to do with your product or the outcomes that they are having from your product or the jobs that they are doing with your product so even if you have the entrepreneur and the educator they they might both be different personas but in fact they they both might need to train the 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 entrepreneur trains his clients the educator trains his students or her students so the job is the same mm. let me share a story a few months ago uh during the car the quarantine i was having a a very big client a, a series uh, c company uh a video conferencing company they had extreme growth and a very big churn during the quarantine they had multiple customer requests multiple feature requests they didn't know what to build first they didn't know what was the direction the right direction because they were having so many requests but not all requests were accommodating the same business direction mm-hmm. so we did research and we realized that their biggest competitor the one that everybody is using that has two o's in their name we're <laughs> using you right now yeah <laughs> exactly um So uh, we realized that lots of their customers were trying to drag them towards becoming another solution like the biggest one in the market. Mm. So would there would it be smart from them to just build whatever the customers asked? Not really. We had to do research. We had to understand what was the ideal customer profile, what was the unique selling point, what was their power user and what was differentiating their power user with someone that just passes by leaves a couple of feedback and then never uses them again because in fact they want something else mm. these 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 things can actually confuse teams deeply they can confuse your actions your decisions they can lead you to mistakes that are uh, that might be that might doom your whole product your whole business right Got it. And, and the second part of that question, I guess we talked about the, you know, in terms of the value gap. Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. So the what is the value gap? The value gap uh, is the the discrepancy between what people expect and what they actually get from us. Hmm? This is a very common thing. It might happen because you oversell and under deliver, mm-hmm. or because you undersell and over deliver. That happens as well. Or because you just. <laughs> Not very common but it happens <laughs> because you just uh, uh your the way that you sell is very complex nobody gets it so there is there seems to be something broken uh, you have some power users but then you struggle to find more of them so three cases this when you have one of these you have a value gap or delivery gap as you named it in our uh, communication so this this value gap is the hidden problem behind the most common things that you have encountered such as my marketing is not working most probably is the value gap i have big churn most probably is the value gap 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I have lots of users coming in, testing my product with a free trial and then leaving. Most probably it's a value gap. So <laughs> in nine out of 10 cases, the problems that founders believe that the, th- the symptoms that pro- founders believe that are the problems are actually the, just the, the, the expressions of the real problem, which is the value gap. And that's mm. a very big issue in the market because founders, when they have a marketing problem, they don't try to find what is, what, what's the why behind the problem. They just fire the marketer and hire another marketer. But then the problem doesn't get solved. That's right. Yeah, the product is still there. It's still the same and it doesn't change the value you're giving, right? Yeah. I, I, I want to touch base on your, exactly. your first point, which is about the competition. So I'm a SaaS product. I always clearly have lots of competition out there. If I'm trying to set up my strategy, whether that's my my product roadmap or my, my, my go-to-market strategy to understand the market and you know understand what you're up against and also maybe stay ahead of the competition or really differentiate them, do you have any you know strategies or frameworks on how to tackle that and, and you know be uh, you know firm in your vision and ignore all the noise and know how to send out? Okay. Okay. The, the framework that I'm using is jobs to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me, let me rephrase what we just said. You spoke about competition. Let's think about alternatives. Mm-hmm. Let's think about what other solutions or other ways our customers are using in order to achieve the same outcome. So if we start thinking in that way, instead of thinking competition, then magically things change. Competition changes and who we are compared to our competition also changes. And let me give you an example. A few years ago, I was working with an accounting system. One of these systems that um, are very easy to use, but they do not have all the features of the world. They are very simple, very intuitive, uh, and very specific. They don't do everything, but what they do is very good. So there are lots of accounting systems in the market. Some of them are extremely powerful. This company was obsessing about their biggest competitor. Again, I'm, I'm talking about companies that we all know. In fact, we ran research and we realized that the vast majority of their happiest customers didn't replace the, the, an accounting system with them. They, in fact, replaced either an external accountant with them or a spreadsheet. So we realized that 90% or more of their competition wasn't their category competition, but in fact, other ways, people, spreadsheets, Trello boards. So if we understand that, the way that we sell our product, build our product, market our product, (laughs) changes entirely. Mm, And everything that we do so far almost becomes irrelevant. Right. Because you're not selling to people who are using your competition now. You're selling to people who are using spreadsheets and who are, you know, who have an account. You say, hey, you're using this. You're doing it the manual way. Let me show you another solution versus you're trying to win them over from, from the competitor. That makes sense. Exactly. Even, uh, even the, the punchlines change. Imagine a punchline that says we are better than X and a punchline that says uh, do the next step. Uh, start using us instead of ditch the, the complex spreadsheets. It's very specific, way better, it speaks to your customer. But how will you know that? You will know that because you did your research and you found out that there is a pattern 
in something. And you use this pattern to take mm. a product and growth decision. Mm. You might also change your product because you are addressing customers that are very, very kind of unsophisticated into using such tools. You might incorporate a couple of uh, features or the look and feel of a spreadsheet a little bit. Just like what Notion did. Notion, what, what Notion did? It kind of inspired from lots of solutions that we already use. Spreadsheets, uh, Kanban boards, and launched something that everybody understands how to use. So even the way that we build our product changes when we understand our competition. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of Notion as well, so I, I love what they did. Um, I, I want to go more specifically and you know, deeper into this, this kind of conversation of identifying your ideal customer and building for them. Um, so there's this case where, let's say a specific case where you have many different clients, maybe your, your, your SaaS product B2B, you know, maybe 50% of your users are SMB, right? They're the clients that are paying less than $100 a month. And, you know, maybe you have 10,000 of them. And then you have on the other side, maybe you have 20 enterprise clients, but they represent 50, 60% of your revenue. And they both have completely different requests. One has a, you know, big team, um, you know, they have all these different features. They want security. They want all these kind of high end. Uh, you know, request. And then you have the SMB, you know, market who's just looking to use it, get started. How, how you know, not, you're thinking about, okay, this, these clients, 20 clients represent most of my revenue. I don't want to lose them. I want to keep them happy. I want to retain them. But I also have all these, you know, thousands of requests coming in from, you know, thousands of users. Who do I build for? How do I look at that? I mean, that's a problem I hear often. Um, do, you have, do you have any suggestions on how to look at that? This is a very difficult question and it's difficult because there is no specific answer to that. Uh, so I had to think while you were asking this question, I had to think how would I approach that? And yeah. the, the first things that came to my mind uh, were, were two. First, what is sustainable for the future? So in a case where we have two totally different uh, types of customers, uh, like the example that you used, the small ones, the SMB and the big ones. So we are either, we need to either decide are we an enterprise solution or are we an, an SMB solution? Are we going with a sales led model or are we going with a product led model and a free trial? Are we, um, are we having sales leads or marketing and product qualified leads? So ultimately the go to market is totally different. The product mix is totally different. Even the team that we need to hire is totally different in that case. So we have to ask ourselves, what is more sustainable? What is our competition? Can we actually be the enterprise solution? Let me give you an example. If the DNA of our team, and this is not, this is just my experience from being 15 years in the market. This is not a customer led uh, insight. Mm -hmm. If the DNA of our team is product led, if we enjoy and we like, and we know how to accommodate SMBs, then we need to stick to them. If we, if we have already gained an unfair advantage towards a segment of the market, perhaps we have to stick with them. In, on the other hand, if we have great salespeople and we are a sales-led company so far, in order for us to accommodate SMBs, we might need to become product-led, so entirely change the DNA of, of our team. So we might need to stay sales-led and perhaps sometime in the future launch a smaller version of our product that will accommodate the SMBs. So there, there, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that there isn't a specific answer to that. This is a guts feeling slash sustainability question. But mm. on the other hand, I understand what you want to ask with that. What, how are we basically predicting the future? Mm -hmm. 
there, how are we predicting if SMBs or enterprises are the ones for us to pick? There are a couple of ways uh, that if you mix them with customer research, internal research and external market research, they can actually help you predict the future. So hear me out because things will get very complex here. Okay. I want okay, all it. of your energy. <laughs> you start, it. you start with an internal customer research. You speak with your power users, with failed users and fresh users so that you can identify exactly who your power user is and what makes him different from your failed user. So with that, you have established exactly who are the people that love you and why. That's one. The second thing, uh, while you do this research, you start collecting expected outcomes or jobs to be done. So things that customers find, find to you, things that do with your solution, and you list them down. You need to have about five to 10 of these, not more. For example, I'm using a drill because I want to, I'm using this drill of this brand because I want to reduce the time that I need to make a hole. This is a job to be done. This is an expected outcome. Okay. The second thing that you do is a very good market research. You need to see where the future is going because it's not only a matter of who you are. It's also where the external environment is going. So trends and future. You see the trends, you, you research the market. So this is the second thing that I want you to do. And the third and the last thing that I want you to do is run a survey that is called opportunity survey. For whoever doesn't know that, Google opportunity algorithm. This is basically a survey that you need to run on one specific segment of the market and ask them about all these outcomes that you have listed how important each outcome is and how satisfied are they for this outcome from their available solutions. So what this gives you at the end of the day, this gives you all these directions that are still important, but yet not as satisfied from the market, which basically gives you your future opportunities. If you filter out things that are not agreeing with the future of where the market is going, you are basically practically predicting your future. Great. I know super, super complex. I'm trying to make it as solid and robust as possible because this is very scientific, but I hope you understood almost what, uh, what we're talking about here. No, I like how you, you put it into a kind of a scientific framework that's, you know, easy to understand, you know, basically you're saying, you know, try to rank all of them, you know, give, you know, critical importance and, you know, which one is getting more weight to it. And then, you know, focus on the ones that are, you know, super, you know, more critical and, and, you know, uh, you know, put the ones kind of lower on your priority list until, uh, you know, you, you, it becomes a, an urgency to, to work on, right? Let me give you an example here, uh, a very practical thing. Um, with this a video conferencing client, which, which was very, very interesting. They could be, they had to decide their position. Uh, they couldn't go head to head and be the solution for everything. They had to be either the, solu the solution for somebody, the thing that does one thing. So... Uh, there is, the research uh, showed that we people are using different solutions for internal meetings and different solutions for external meetings. For example, you might be using something to speak with your team, such as Slack or other solutions that help you do video conferencing, but very fast with, with one click. But when it comes to external, to external meetings where your authority 
and your uh, where you speak with clients or important people, then you use a, a solution that might not be the easiest for you, but it's definitely the one that works always and is accepted from every party. You know mm. that is the most well known. And we are talking about one solution, the one that we are using at the moment, actually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So different solutions for internal meetings, different solutions for external meetings. Then you have uh, for each sort of internal or external meeting, you have different outcomes. You have educators delivering classes. You have one-to-one -one calls. You have interactive pair coding meetings. So these are all outcomes. And... Mm -hmm we run the opportunity algorithm to see what will be the one little segment that we will go and dominate. And to do that, we did all the, th all, we followed all the steps that I shared with you before. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I, I mean, it seems like you said, if you're, if you're trying to predict and you're trying to, you know, um, what's that word you use that, uh, you know, be, be a psychic and, and understand the future. <laughs> a lot of people just think, that, you know, it's building more features, adding more, giving more, building the all-in-one and just creating and adding and adding and adding where sometimes it's, you know, like you said, following those one or two markets and just, you know, subtracting and, and then just building for them, right? Which is probably, which sounds counterintuitive, I think, for most people, right? In, in fact, adding, adding, adding more features is the, the recipe to, to disaster. Um, and uh, the answer to that is Canva. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, the whole SaaS industry, the, the whole world of uh, sophisticated Western, uh, the, the Western society, the digital, the, the, the digital life of, of Western society goes to simpler solutions that do less things, not complex solutions that do more things. Yeah. We don't want more. Um, okay, I will avoid naming solutions, but think mm -hmm. of something complex that does a lot of things. We don't want more of them. We want more of Canva. We want more Canvas. We want more mirrors. We want simple things that do simple mm. stuff that we understand instantly. So no, definitely not adding more features uh, will help. Uh, you. How do you, you know, how do you maintain that control and saying no, right? Because you're getting this request, and people are saying, "Look, I'm going to pay you money." And sometimes it's hard, right, to say no because you had this client who's saying, "Look, I'm going to pay you more," or a few of them are just like, "Just, just give me this one little thing," and it's going to take you just deviate slightly off of your track of what you're focusing. on. But you know, you also don't want to say no to your to that money as well, right? And that's that's that can be challenging, I find. It depends if you're a very small company and what they're asking, and you have decided that you're an enterprise solution, then you might build it because you need yeah. the money. I, I've been there. I mean, let's not be, let's be real, realistic. You might just do it and take the money. It's a matter of what you gain and what you lose. If you're at the point in time that what they're asking is totally outside of your scope, then it's not a matter of dis, uh, dissatisfying the, the customer. It's a matter of not uh, shooting your own legs. Okay. Mm. So mm -hmm. you say no, definitely if it's a big, if it's a big enterprise solution and it's totally out of scope. If it's small customers, um, you don't ask them. I'm very, I'm very negative towards companies that ask their, um, their customers, uh, to propose features. Customers are the worst to propose solutions. They are mm -hmm. extremely good into proposing problems to telling, to telling mm -hmm. us their problems. We are here to build solutions that solve their problems. They are not here to tell us what we're going to build. Never trust the users when they're telling you what they want to build. They don't know what they want. They want faster, 
they want cheaper, they want you to do everything. And when you give it to them, they, they just go to their, to your competitor. They are very nasty. Don't trust mm. them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good point. Um, so kind of final question before moving on to the personal, you know, questions, uh, uh, you know, we talked about this at the beginning in terms of making these six figure go to market mistakes. Can you talk about, you know, what are these, you know, go to market six figure mistakes you talk about and, you know, helping SaaS companies to avoid them? How, how should people think about avoiding them? Okay. okay. Let's do some mm-hmm. math here. Okay. Imagine that you are doing wrong research and you have a wrong insight that tells you that you have to build a feature that will need four months of product uh and development um manpower mm-hmm. there is a cost do the math yourself you know that you are in the SaaS industry you, do, you can do your math for your uh, for your own businesses then as soon as you have that you have to test it do research user test it uh qa test it then you launch it you have a launch campaign then you have to market it then you have to announce it to your customers then customers will test it you have to run marketing to bring new eyeballs in. Uh, these eyeballs and your existing eyeballs will test this thing. Because it's wrong, it won't work. So after about four to six months of trying to make it work, because you just build it, you won't just let it die from month one, uh, then you realize that you made a mistake. Now, if you do the math of how much this costed, it's... <laughs> If you're a seed level company or an A series level company, uh, you need a couple of these to actually die. Right. It's not a matter of money. It's a matter mm. of survival. Mm. Or you can just eat your veggies, do your research, do your homework, and know exactly what you're building for whom, and not do the old school thing of pretending that you're agile, building stuff launching stuff, testing them in the market, and then realizing that they didn't work. These, these mm. things don't work anymore. Mm. So that, that kind of quick, you know, launch in, in, in a month, get it out there, get feedback, and then, you know, pivot from there. You don't, you don't agree with that? I, I agree on, the, on having uh, speedy and fast development cycles, but I don't agree with founders that pretend that they're agile just mm. to avoid doing the research. Being agile mm. doesn't mean that you are not doing research. Mm. Some founders, uh, just because, and product people, because they, they don't want to do that, they say, oh, we are agile. Okay, if you, have you ever seen any truly agile company uh, building things uh, like that? It, it doesn't work like that. You That's know, true. 15 years uh, before, we would say it's an MVP. I know it's ugly. I know it doesn't work, but it's an MVP. Now everything exists. Now you don't need an MVP. You need uh, an uh, an MSP, a, a minimum sellable product, mm. a Im- minimum sellable feature. So if it doesn't work because it's an MVP, then okay, just keep it uh, keep it hidden until it can be sold. Otherwise, come on, give me a break. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people need solutions now. They're not willing to to wait. Yeah, that long. that makes sense. Cool. So Agalos, I want to switch gears. Love kind of what you shared so far. I want to understand your background. What's been your past ventures, including up until founding, you know, your agency, Growth Sandwich? I started as a marketer. Uh, Very quickly, uh, I I realized that um, uh, I'm not good as a marketer. I don't like it so much and that I'm excited about building solutions. Uh, 
I pivoted myself to product. And then one thing led to, uh, to the other. And then I re-pivoted myself to customer research. And now I'm actually finishing my master's degree in psychotherapy because what I want to do is uh, consult businesses on how to build the, the most insanely good products by actually go, going very deep towards their customers. Very deep. Mm. So you can say that uh, my past ventures are marketing, products. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to educate myself all the time and, uh, and do something more. I have, uh, I have started a couple of companies. One of them failed miserably. The other one had a small exit. But uh, my, my passion in life is, uh, is uh, research and customer research and uh, these things. And how actually the mind works and how we make decisions. Nice. What was that moment or, or kind of period of time where you saw that led to the idea of, look, I need to you know, build this agency, Gold Sandwich, and you knew it was the right, right thing to do and you know, got excited about <laughs> the answer, the answer to that question isn't very exciting. I was working okay. uh, in London full time. I had a very, very negative and toxic manager mm-hmm. and, um, I was feeling very miserable and I realized that, uh, one, I don't want, I'm unemployable basically, uh, that I cannot do that anymore. <laughs> I've had enough of that. So I just quit. I just found my first client and quit it and never went back to, to anything toxic and full time. Full time doesn't have to be toxic, but that just traumatized me so much. <laughs> <laughs> it happens quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then you're like, okay, that's it. I'm working for myself. I, I'm going to, you know, this is something I love. So enjoy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go and try this on my own. I'm sorry, can you repeat this question? Uh, so, I mean, from there, it was like, hey, look, I can't do this. I know I can't work for somebody. Uh, I need to do this for myself. I need to work on my own. And you just thought, okay, I'm going to go and try and build this solution that I think I'm passionate about. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I strongly, I strongly advise people to, to, to just follow that if it's their thing. Mm. Nice, nice. And then kind of, uh, you know, where are you guys in terms of size today? I'm assuming you guys are, you know, completely bootstrapped, kind of just build organically uh, based off your expertise. Uh, two years ago, uh, we were a 20 people team. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you are running a 20 people team, you don't worry about, uh, psychotherapy and needs and jobs to be done. You worry about, uh, selling and paying your salaries. Um, am I that person? Oh, definitely no. <laughs> I'm the little geek that goes back to his cave and reads about research and, uh, and works. I, I want to work on my stuff. I don't want other people to work. If you run a big team, you don't work on your stuff. You have other right. people doing that. So I am horrible to that. I'm very bad at managing teams. I'm very good at doing what I promise, which is what we are discussing so far. So I reduced the team like massively. Um, and now I'm, it's basically me and a couple of contractors that I used to help me in a couple of things. So it's a very, very small team and one man show basically. So I do all the work for myself and I'm totally independent. There's nothing wrong with that, right? People always think success means or, you know, how you decide if your company is based on the size of your team. But I think that's not everybody, you know, wants to manage people. Not everybody needs to. And I don't think that's, there's nothing wrong with doing the other way, which is, you know, focusing on building good product, doing what you're good at and, and growing how you want, right? Yeah. Sometimes uh, when you're young and you start your entrepreneurial journey, you believe that success is what, uh, if, you, if you are similar to other people, 
if you compare yourself with uh, successful cases that uh, you can find in billboards and stuff, I just couldn't do that. Uh, I wasn't that sort of person. I wanted different things. Yeah, it's not what TechCrunch tells you you need to be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking about, you know, if you're a younger person, you know, going back to maybe your 25-year-old self, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known and you would tell yourself at that point? Oh, that's a very nice question. I would say definitely don't compare yourself with others. Um, and um, relax and do what excites you. Because if you don't do what excites you and you always try to do something in order to be someone else, in order to 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 win in the comparison, uh, then first you won't succeed. And second, uh, you won't be happy. If, and you, you will have that feeling, even if you achieve things, that you're never happy. It's always a chase of happiness and the chase of success. And this is not truly working. This is um, something that we believe that at some point we will be happy when X happens, but mm. then it's, uh, it never happens. Mm. That's right. Um, what are some of, I guess, from your perspective now with, you know, running the team, how you're running it, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to con continue to grow, you know, growth sandwich and meaning what keeps you up at night these days when you're not managing a 20 person team? Uh, at the moment that I'm uh, not managing yeah. a 20 people team. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What keeps you up at night these days? Then? To, to be honest, I'm sleeping like a baby these okay. days but <laughs> but if uh, there was one thing <laughs> that i could say that is a challenge is um explaining to founders that research isn't something that they need to do when they get big mm. so uh, research starts becoming necessary but we're not there yet um there is, there is always when you're a consultant or an agency there is always this dilemma between uh, being commercial and being a doctor. Uh, when you're a doctor, you tell your patient what they need to do. Where, but that's not always commercially successful. Uh, that's why shitty marketers, excuse my, my language, but that's why very bad marketers still exist because they sell hope. Uh, so it's not always what's commercially good that works. So I'm struggling between persuading people that no, don't sell more. Don't, don't put more money into marketing if you mm. haven't sorted those things because you're basically dropping more money into the problem. Do research. It might sound boring, but it's very actionable. So this is my challenge, but um, that's okay. I don't have 20 mouths to feed anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, just maybe kind of one question on the, the research side when you're, you know, is there any favorite questions you like to ask customers you can share? Maybe two or three that maybe give a lot more, you know, uh, power to your decisions than we think. I, it depends. It depends. It depends. If we're talking about, um, uh, you know, I, what I like asking is almost the same questions, but differently phrased. For example, okay. a very, very quick thing that everybody can do. Ask your fresh customers, what do they expect to do with your solution? Mm. Then ask them, what other solutions or ways or people have they used in the past to achieve the same outcome? Ask them also what other alternatives have they considered for this outcome? Ask them what's the good and the bad of all these things. Pair all of these questions with why, and then go to your churned customers 
failed customers and ask them the same questions opposite. So ask them, what was it that they expected to do and failed? What, uh, what other solutions are they currently evaluating to switch from you to them? So do just the opposite thing and then mm. take exactly the same questions and go to your power users and ask them what sort of value are they getting at the moment? What other solutions have they considered before actually purchasing you? What were their criteria when they evaluate all these things? So if you do those, this triangle of asking the same things to three different people, you will highlight exactly in full detail who is it that you have to work, to work for, build for, speak to, uh, everything. And who is it that you shouldn't work for accordingly? So very simple. It's basically the value gap analysis. And it's one of the, one of my favorite things. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. The power of the questions are, are huge. People, you know, that's, that's what it is. Just asking questions. And those are fantastic questions. Um, Agalos, who or what are the best three resources? They can be books, it can be people, mentors, or maybe people you follow in the space who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years. Uh, I would start with Bob Muesta, the living legend of jobs to be done at the moment and the, the right hand of uh, uh, the most important person uh, that has passed from, the, from this industry, Clayton Christensen. Uh, the second person is Tony Alwick, uh, also a living legend of jobs to be done, but from a different perspective, from an outcome-driven innovation perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony has, has written a lot of books. One of them is What Customers Want. This is mm-hmm. my personal Bible. Uh, mm-hmm. Bob Moesta just launched Demand Side Sales. It's a, mm-hmm. it, it's a great book and other books as well. Uh, that speaks specifically about jobs to be done. And the third person uh, is Robert Cialdini, uh, very popular person, has written uh, the book, uh, The Art of Persuasion. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book that describes how to use instincts, secret buttons of people to persuade them, which is very useful if you're a marketer or a salesperson. Uh, and also uh, it's, it's that exciting that it's almost unethical. It's mm-hmm. very, very, very cool book. Just read it. Just don't use everything that you read in there. No. Okay. We'll add that in our show notes. I haven't read it, so I'll have to check it out though. Thanks for, for recommending that. Um, what, what does success mean to you today, Agalos? Whether it's personally, business, financially, life, I mean, there's no, there's no right answer. Uh, love, mm-hmm. health, family. And uh, the amount of money needed to to not worry a lot, mm. but not uh, w- but not be super super uh, ignorant as well. Just not worry. Just not worry, but uh, keep your motivation high. Mm. Financial freedom, hey. financial peace of mind, but not not too high where you you're still not you still want to you know go out there and and uh, put in the hustle right and learn exactly exactly. <laughs> but this is the fourth, the fourth, the yeah. first two are love, family, health. Mm. So those three first, and then you know business comes last. Nice. Uh, this has been great, Agalos. Really appreciate you jumping on the SaaS District podcast today. Uh, where can founders, marketers listening get in touch with you, learn more about you and and your business growth sandwich? You can visit my website, growthsandwich.com. Or if you want us to, to geek out about customer research, you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, more than happy to chat. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you jumping on today. Cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.